It's August 13th, 1994, and Einstein on the Beach for an Eggman by Counting Crows <laughs> is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. Hello, and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I'm Trav. I'm Quillen. I'm Al. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Einstein on the Beach for an Eggman, a Counting Crows song that was left off of their debut album and released on the compilation DGC Rarities Volume 1. Einstein on the Beach is Counting Crow's only number one song on the modern rock chart, but it spent just one week at number one and has largely been forgotten. Here's a clip. So the number one thing that I am curious about here is, Trav, had, you feel like you have never heard this song before. That's correct. Uh, I've heard this song <laughs> exactly once in preparation for this podcast. I didn't even, I didn't even re- listen to it twice. I probably should have done that. But I heard it and I was like, oh yeah, this is like, this is like a Counting Crow song. I, so this, I wasn't aware of it either previously, Al. I'd never heard of the song. And it's the nothing? only song, the only song on this list that I've never heard of before. Nothing about this song rang a bell for you. No. I mean, when I listened to it, all of the Counting, Clo- Counting Crows, like the hallmarks of their songs rang a bell. Yeah. But like, I was not familiar with this at all. So I remember this song fairly well, although I will say... Um, you two know I have a I have a running playlist on my phone on Spotify that is meant to approximate uh, the experience of listening to my local alternative rock radio station in high school. It's just called 89X. The playlist is called 89X. Yeah. And I, it's got, I don't know, six or seven hours of music on it. And I, this is definitely a song that I had realized I had not put on that playlist. But... I guess I'm a little mixed up about where I remember it from. I want to say that I remember hearing it on the radio, but it is possible that I just remember it from the DGC Rarities album, which uh, at least one friend had in high school. But I I feel very much like I remember every little bit of this song. Hmm. Not me. Not one bit. Um. I don't think that this is jumping the gun on the album segment, but did either of you ever hear that TGC Rarities comp? I uh, I think I became aware of it like much later on um, in my life as like a classic comp, you know, uh, of '90s alternative and really indie rock. I mean, a major label, but like it has so many formerly independent rock bands, you know. Um, and uh yeah yeah i i probably 
didn't know anything about it in my childhood, but um, like within the last 10 or so years, I think I was made aware of uh, it as a classic. And uh, yeah, we can, we can talk about the other songs on it whenever you guys are ready, I guess. But uh, it's pretty cool, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm ready to take a moment for a second. I guess we didn't really talk about this. Is your album DGC Rarities, is your, or is the album you listen to for this episode, August and Everything After? I couldn't make it through August and Everything After. Um, <laughs> so, I, yeah, there is that. But You uh, tried? I did. And you just stopped. Wow. I, I, couldn't, okay. I couldn't deal with it. I f- hated it. Jeez. Wow. It I awful. can't believe this. It's terrible. I'm hearing I'm hearing that <laughs> Travis has never listened to August and Everything After before and that you couldn't make it through it. This I, is like I could not. Wow. Okay. All right, I'm going to be the August and Everything After defender and I didn't expect to be in that position. Well, I do want to say a little bit about DGC rarities right now because I think that the reason why people even bothered buying that CD when I was in high school was purely for the presence of Jamie by Weezer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which is, uh, I think that uh, Nick Hornsby talks about this and I don't know, there is some essay, some book of essays of his called songbook or something like that, that Mm -hmm. I, that I read at some point. And he, he came up with a, a concept that I liked a lot, which is like, he called it something like the rain factor or he was talking about rain by the Beatles and the way that you know you could come across that song it is a b-side it was possible to make your way through life without ever hearing rain by the Beatles um, and still be a Beatles fan and then suddenly maybe you get a copy of Past Masters volume two or whatever and you put it on and it's like a Rain is such a special song because your love for the Beatles has grown so kind of faded and everything is so familiar. And all of a sudden you hear a song that you haven't heard a million times before. And it is a fresh invocation of all of the magic that this band was capable of inspiring. Mm-hmm. I, I guess it's worth taking a second just to talk about Rain by the Beatles. If either of you had this experience with rain, yeah, that was like a, that was uh, yeah. I mean, maybe almost exactly like that. Yeah, it was one of the the last sort of Beatles songs that I'd heard, and it was just like, oh, this is amazing. And it's a totally magical song. I mean, it's a top ten Beatles song for me, probably. Yeah. Um. So I still get that feeling from Jamie by Weezer. I can't, I can't get a fresh angle on the Blue Album. I. It's not that I dislike it or anything like that. I loved it so much, and I listened to it so much that I cannot hear it with fresh ears. And Jamie still allows me to hear the Blue Album with fresh ears. I lo- I love that. Um, though it's interesting to me. I think Jamie is a great song. Um, but I I don't think it's the best B side from the Blue Album. Um, no, there's a lot of good Michael stuff. Michael and Carly is the gem. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, Jamie, I think Jamie was the first uh, Weezer B-side I'd ever heard. Uh, and it was back in high school. And I loved it uh, a lot. It's a really, really good song. Um, 
you can keep waxing poetic about it if you want, Al. Just no, that's it. I I want to draw attention to the song on the comp by the Posies. Um, uh-huh. Open every window. I had never. I, I guess I, I I've always been sort of interested in the Posies, not really taking the time or doing the research. Um, I knew of them because one of their bassists, um, Joe, he goes by Joe Skyward or also Joe Bass, um, according to Wikipedia, um, played in Sunny Day Real Estate for a second um, after um, the initial breakup when they got back together without... um, uh, the bassist who is in the Foo Fighters. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name right this second for some reason, but um, I have no clue. Nick Mendel, I think. Yeah, Nate. Nate. Um, but anyways, yeah. So this guy Joe Skyward played in Sunny Day Real Estate. After that, um, I th- I'm confused as to if he actually played on their third album. How it feels to be something on their best album. Um, IMO, IMHO, um. Uh, but he played on that tour at least, I believe. And, uh, so I was like, oh, this guy is from this band, the Posies. I should probably check them out sometime. And then I never did. And honestly, this is the first Posey song I've ever heard. And it rips. It's awesome. It sounds like, uh, just really great rough around the edges, uh, power pop, um, kind of reminded me a little bit of like, uh lilies when they were doing the kind of uh british invasion sound but just a little uh heavier um do either of you guys have any experience with the posies and would you recommend i do the work on them because i'm feeling like i should yeah uh frosting on the beater is the one okay cool yeah i don't know i i it's funny before the episode back in the green room, we were talking about uh, high school teachers that we connected with musically. And uh, my high school social studies teacher told me to listen to the posies and I, I wasn't ready for it at the time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was boring mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. but I, I would be curious to check it out now. Yeah. What, what was the name of the album that you uh, recommend Trev? Frosting on the beater. Okay. What year is that? Oh, early 90s, 90, yeah. uh, let's say three. Okay, cool, cool, yeah, cool, thanks. Yeah, the, the only other thing that was really notable on the DGC Rarities Comp, and, and notable is a pretty generous definition, is the song Pay to Play by Nirvana, which is just stay away <laughs> with different lyrics. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got to drive this thing back to Count and Crows, yeah. unless, Trev, you got something more to say about DGC Rarities. No, I mean, it was all just kind of uh, a good compilation of good bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, everything was, was solid. It was fun to listen to. Um, I, you know, I, it's something that I've heard before, but it's not like, um, it's not important. It's something, not something that I have to go back to and be like, oh, you know, there's one of these, you know, important songs or mm-hmm. important string of songs or anything like that. So yeah, please proceed with the Count and Cross. Actually, I wanted to kind of ask you, you mentioned, you know, the, the comparison with Rain and the Beatles. Is, is Einstein on the beach like that for you with August and everything after? Well, I, I, let me make it clear a little bit later. I'm not totally in love with August and everything after. Um, this was a five dollar uh, record exchange purchase for me, and it, it was never something that I wholeheartedly grabbed onto. But it is 
it's almost like a middle school radio version of Rain. It's like a, here's here's the vibe that you got when you were uh, you know eleven and listening to the radio, um, and here's a fresh whiff of it. It's always really fun to discover those songs that you you know. It's not like your Black Hole Suns and your uh, your heart shaped boxes, but they're the songs uh, that kind of really surprise you that you've really forgotten about. Something like uh, "Feed the Tree" by Belly, mm. or I'm trying to think of another good example of that. Uh, that's the best example I can think of off the top of my head of a song that I had completely forgotten about. Um, "High" by uh, by Feeder. Feeder, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I hope that we're, for some people who are less uh, into 90s rock than us, I hope that listening to this podcast can kind of give some people that vibe. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the DGC liner notes say that Einstein on the beach was left off of August and everything after because, this is a quote, it was not mopey enough <laughs> to fit the record. Sure. And uh, for that reason, I think I, I have a, a fair amount of affection for this song. <laughs> I, like, I like the Counting Crows when they're a little more structured and a little more melodic. Um, Adam Duritz has a tendency to dance around things in, a, in the same way that I was irritated by in our Morrissey episode. Um, and I, I find it more charming when Adam Duritz does it, but I do like it when... Uh, when they're being, they're being structured and melodic and poppy. Mm. So I like the song quite a lot. I did too. I yeah. think it's kind of great. It's hook, it's hook after yeah. hook. Oh yeah, every part's pretty much great. How how um how different do you think this song is compared to like some of their very popular like awful stuff post 2000 like uh like uh the shrek soundtrack stuff or like uh i mean they're so like the joni morris yeah the the joni mitchell yeah yeah i gotta say that's like they're responsible for some of the absolute worst stuff like period like that that uh big yellow taxi cover is just like one of the top 10 worst songs i've ever heard in (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah just despise it um, but I, 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 I can see, I could see this song going either way where like, it has a lot of the touchstones of like a song that I would like from this era, but I could also see it kind of going the other way where it's just like a little too bright, a little too upbeat and, uh, not, not quite, I don't know, sincere enough. I don't know. You could fool me into thinking after the intro riff starts that it was going to go, look around, there's a world pretty baby. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the drumming in this song is awesome. Uh, is it? I yes, didn't notice it. It's super good. Um, also, the uh, just the production on the drums is like uncharacteristically great. Um, they do not sound like 90s. Uh, uh, radio rack drums at all they sound like i don't know like drums on a well-produced indie rock album 
um, of the time, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool to me. Um, but yeah, it was, that was one of the things that stuck out to me was like, well, this, I, I would not think that drumming on a Counting Crows song would ever be remotely interesting at all. And it's like, yeah, just really good fills, tasteful, um, maybe overplaying a smidge, but, um, they're great. They're totally great. Huh. It is so weird that this is the Counting Crows only number one on the modern rock chart. Yeah, and it's I think crazy. It, I think that w- we might need, uh, I had said a little while ago that there are a couple of name. We, we need to name some things, some dynamics that we're going to see mm. repeatedly on this podcast, but this is, a maybe our first example of a really curious phenomenon of a song going to number one, but being forgotten where meanwhile, maybe another song by this band has gone to number two and stayed there for far, Mm -hmm. far, far, far longer. This song was only number one for one week, but, um, you know, Mr. Jones, which peaked at number two was probably around for weeks Mm -hmm. and weeks and weeks Mm -hmm. and weeks. And, uh, of course, Mr. Jones is a song that pretty much anybody, at least our age, knows. Yep. Um, Mr. Jones peaked at number two. Round Here made it to number seven. Uh, and later on, Long December made it to number five. Curiously enough, Rain King never charted on the modern rock chart. Which is a song that I remember much better than this one. But it did make it to number 31 on the mainstream chart. I don't even, uh, I don't know that I had ever heard that song before I tried to listen to it when I tried to listen to August and everything (laughs) after. It ends like this. Yeah. Yeah. Does that jog your memory? No, but... uh... It's cool. That's that's a cool move. Uh-huh. It's uh-huh. a really cool move. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the title is a reference to a Philip Glass mm-hmm. opera. Yeah, you guys ever catch and that? Then, you ever catch that five-hour uh, Philip Glass opera? Oh man, I uh, I'm a real glasshead. <laughs> <laughs> I actually tried to. I think listen to like the soundtrack when i was falling asleep on youtube one night um i didn't take anything away from it to einstein on the beach yes wow that's impressive yeah thanks that's what that's what i'm trying to that's what i'm trying to get yeah and then of course in parentheses the for an Eggman bit is a reference to john lennon um i took a look on songmeanings.com and uh, someone says that this is about Einstein's research leading to the development of the atomic bomb. So the lines, one more sun comes sliding down the sky, one more shadow leans against the wall, are references to radiation burns, or shadows literally left of people who are incinerated in Hiroshima. I don't know. It seems perfectly fine. It seems like a, a, a decent inference yeah i don't have uh, much of a conference of uh of what this is all about yeah i got something to say about the Eggman. um i had <laughs> <laughs> question for the Eggman. i um i had read that it was oh god that it was about humpty dumpty right which sounds right. really <laughs> stupid but maybe not out of the question 
Um, there's something about, I, I don't know, something in the lyrics that kind of tied in with that. But also, I thought the Eggman was Eric Burden of the animals, um, hmm. who used to have eggs smashed on him mid-orgy. Oh. Cool. I somehow have heard of this before. Yeah. That would be cool if the song was about that. <laughs> I'd listen to that song. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, can I uh, recite my favorite lyric of the song? Okay. Yes. It goes, okay. Hang on. Ask the question Can again? I recite uh, my favorite lyric of this song? Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Duritz. Uh, it goes something like this. No, he'll never be together again. No, no. Never, never, never again. Uh, uh. What you fear in the night and the day comes to call. Anyway, eh, eh, eh. Never, never again. <laughs> God damn it. Never, never, never again. No, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> Changed my mind about everything. It's deep. <laughs> as far as I can tell, there is no music video for this song. I couldn't find anything. Yeah, no, I just found I found a, a video, uh, like a, a still picture on the, the band's website or YouTube what was channel. The... And it was it. It was from their uh, greatest hits. Okay. Yeah. SOL. Well, uh, let's talk about this album that the two of you apparently don't particularly Hate. care for. August and everything Hate. after. Sold <laughs> the half seven, of it that I the old the album that sold to. seven million copies in the United States. Yes. Not familiar. Okay. Well, what were your first impressions of this album that everyone but you has heard? <laughs> Corny as hell. Uh, I, I always thought a long December was on this album. Um, forgetting that it was, <laughs> forgetting that it was later. That's off, off the podcast. Uh, sorry. It's the only Counting Crow song I previously like liked, uh, until I heard, uh, Einstein on the beach. You guys don't like round here. Mm. I don't particularly care for round here. I think Mr. Jones is awesome. Mr. Um, Jones is like not too bad. Rain King is pretty good. Rain King is is good. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a little long, but it's pretty good. Um, around here is a little maudlin. <laughs> That's for sure. That's one thing that, um, since I'm apparently the August and everything after Defender, I'll say that's been always been my one complaint about this record is it is sometimes bitterly, bitterly sad. And uh, I struggled with that as a kid listening to it. There's this song, Anna Begins, that has like a, it's a song that I would never tolerate these days because I'm, I'm very much like a get to the point kind of listener. Um, 
but it is slow and meditative and takes its time getting to an uplifting chorus, but gosh, it goes to really, really dreary places. And a lot of this album goes to really bleak, depressing places. Always in a, you know, it's not, not like in a Connor Oberst way. Mm. It is in a little bit of a bland way, but uh, it does feel like a very melancholy album. Um, I'll take your word for it, Al. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Mr. Jones is, is good. Mr. Jones should probably go on my, It's it's got sort of a happy hour feel, right? Yeah, sure. I've I've got a little um, tropical cocktail playlist on Spotify that Mr. Jones should probably be on. It's got a lot of Travis's favorite group, UB40, on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Red, red wine make Trav feel so fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brother. Um, um, there's a fourth single. There is? There is a fourth single. It's called A Murder of One. It's the final track. Mm. Oh. Uh, that's always a weird mood to me, uh, move, uh, releasing album closer as a single. I hate it. I hate that move. Yeah, you hate Champagne Supernova? I honestly didn't know that that was the album closer because I don't care about Oasis. Uh, uh, But I just never generally like that move uh, album closer as single, especially when it's the first single of the album. That's a really bad move, but do go Uh, on. I'm trying to think of an example. Uh, Radio by Alkaline Trio. Oh. Hmm. Um... Change your mind? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a Murder of One's a good song. What's it about? <laughs> oh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, the The chords are it's mostly uh mostly are super straight. The chords are are mostly like a super straight one four kind of situation. Hmm. Um, it's sort of a Sort of a mediocre verse, great chorus song, but the chorus is great. It's just awesome. Oh, hey, good album closer as a single. All apologies. Sure. Yeah. But anyways. Me too. Murder mm-hmm. of One. I'll check that out. A Murder of One. You might know it as the Shame, Shame, Shame song. I do not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, my experience of listening to this is, is I hear something like round here, which I think is great. And, uh, Quillen was pointing out that the drumming on, uh, Einstein on the beach is really great. Mm-hmm. The bass playing on round here. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'd ever notice if you're not a bassist, but the bass playing is very creative. How so? So, um, you know, it's a, a repetitive song. It's a... There's not a lot of movement mm. in the song, and the bass comes up with some really creative ways carrying of it, c- creating yeah. variety. That's cool. That's I I like that move uh, usually. Yeah. Um, but I I am lost by some songs on this, including the second track, Omaha. The moment that I hear that accordion, and I hear getting right to the heart of matters. It's the heart that matters more. All with the implication that 
the heart of America is Omaha, Nebraska mm. is all put together is something that I don't, uh, I, that I don't need in my life. Yeah. <laughs> this album was produced by T-Bone Burnett, who I think of as uh, a Grammy man for grownups. <laughs> <laughs> what a diss. I mean, or, you know, it's accurate. I, I, I don't know who he is. Doesn't he do like, uh, he does films? Isn't he involved in like Oscar uh, He's nominations? Some, he, and yeah, things? I'm sure he was involved in like that Crazy Heart, Jeff Daniels soundtrack. But yeah. He was um, really heavily involved uh, in the Oh Brother, Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I believe that he was involved in the Robert Plant, Alison Krauss mm. collaboration oh, yeah. mm. that won uh, Album of the Year that year. Um, Trav, you were going to say something. Uh, no, I was just going to ask if there, you know, if I, I assume that he's got a lot of albums on, uh, a lot of CDs on uh, Starbucks counters. <laughs> that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is described as roots rock, at least on Wikipedia. And I guess I'd never made a connection between uh, people like the band and Van Morrison and Counting Crows. But what, as soon as I read that, I stopped and thought, Adam Dirtz does sing a lot like Van Morrison. Yeah, good call. Huh. That's true. I thought that just meant that you had an acoustic guitar in a rock band. Oh, so like Dave Matthews' band is Roots Rock. For sure. Uh, Rusted Root. Yes. Days of the New? No, because they're like almost... Uh, uh, almost just d- primarily acoustic. Like it's it, it's not. Um, oh, integrated with like electric sort of instruments. Oh, so I would think uh, Rusted Root would not be Roots Rock, unless Djembe and uh, bongos and wind chimes. Oh, maybe, but see, that seems so Counts. squarely Roots Rock. I don't know. Hmm. If I had to name a Roots Rock band, I would name Black Crows. Hmm. They're kind of Southern. Southern Rock, though, yeah. Right? Isn't Southern Rock and Roots Rock, isn't it all? I think there's going, a... Is, aren't they all going down to Mississippi? <laughs> <laughs> there's some overlap, I guess, uh, in those two subgenres, but... Uh-huh. Uh yeah. Well... Um, Especially Mr. Jones, I thought sounded like Van Morrison on re- and on repeat listening. Yeah, knowing then, that. Yeah. When I uh, I used to tape song fragments off the radio, I would try to tape entire songs off the radio. I don't know if you guys did this too. Did. But you'd often end up with little song fragments, and so I would flip around the radio and get lots of different song fragments. And to this day, when I hear the end of Mr. Jones, the sound I expect to hear next is. Y'all ready for this? <laughs> <laughs> cool. I, that was next on the radio tape. I made a tape, tape. like that uh, and uh, had Everlong on it five times. Wow. I loved that song. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everlong is is pretty great. I have to stop and remind myself of the existence of Everlong every time I feel like talking trash about the food. Yeah, bars. Color in the Shape is, has some good songs. That's, yeah. that's where it ends for me. Hmm. 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 
Nope. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> no, me, myself, and Irene soundtrack for you. Oh, what's that? No, I mean what's I know a- what it is, but what's what what's on? There is a Foo Fighters song on that. I don't, I don't remember what it was. I don't want to have to issue a correction, so I'm not uh, <laughs> not making any predictions about it. Um. This is also sort of described as a kind of sort of described as hippies. And it got me thinking, what is the status of hippies in the mid-90s? Are they outliers? Is it... Are hippies rebelling against grunge? Or are grunge people hippies? I think the hippies are, uh, um, I thought that was a really popular thing. So like, I, I, I feel like, uh, uh, culture sort of moves in 20 year cycles where like, I remember there being a lot of like, uh, flower child stuff happening, um, in the mid nineties that were just, you know, sort of tied in with the hippie thing. And, um, it was cool. I don't think they were like disparaged very much. I mean, I know that they can be, but like, generally speaking, it was sort of like um, something to be admired. Hmm. As Ed Kowalczyk will say in 1997, when we get there, free love was just another party for the hippies to ruin. Whoa. Which I think is a pretty good lyric. Yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I'll take your word for it, Al. All right. Well, let's go elsewhere in the charts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the less interesting stuff first. Mainstream rock number one is still Black Hole Sun. Okay. Pop number one is still Stay, I Missed You by Lisa Loeb. Very cool. Anything new to say? We've been had a separate glowing thing to say about Lisa Loeb every week. Boy, does that sound great. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, Vaseline by Stone Temple Pilots is at number three. And I know that we probably have a fair amount to say about that, but we're going to hold off for a moment and yeah. wait until it is higher on the charts yeah, elsewhere. That sounds good. Uh, Headache by Frank Black is now at number 10. Wow. Cool. Close, closer by the Nine Inch Nails uh, might be a good time to talk about that. Did you say by, um, uh, did you say the Nine Inch Nails? I don't think so. Listeners will be the judge of that. Yeah. There's a whole thing about that because of uh, Twin Peaks, The Return. Uh, they talk about the Nine Inch Nails well, in Twin Peaks, The uh, Return? Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails are in an episode uh, in the most, like, in the most famous, uh, I would say, popular episode of, of Twin Peaks, The Return, Episode 8. And uh, they perform in it. And uh, they are introduced uh, by an announcer as the Nine Inch Nails, 
Uh, but in, you know, uh, real life, they were just nine inch nails. So there was a whole like theory, uh, that, um, they're performing in an alternate kind of reality, um, in the, in the show. Uh, so that's all (laughs) pretty, pretty cool. Uh, That sounds pretty cool. I still haven't gotten access to that show. This would be a great time to watch it. It would. Yeah. It would. I wish I was watching it right now. <laughs> you can go anytime. <laughs> I always wish I was watching it, though. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> um, Closer never makes it into the top 10, which is a sure. little, little surprising to me. Because it's filthy. Yeah. That whole album is filthy. Is that the I, I Wanna <laughs> F You Like an Animal song? Oh. It is. Yeah. Boy. Yeah. I remember getting that. I, I think I got it from BMG or something like that. Mm. I think I took one look at the at the liner notes and the lyrics and I was like, no, sir. <laughs> you are going back back to the BMG factory. This is too much for me. Did you get your penny back? I did. <laughs> All right. I think that's it for the charts. Let's rate this thing yeah yeah uh the song's pretty pretty great like i said uh the drumming really stuck out to me was a really uh nice surprise and yeah this song just came out of nowhere for me i had no idea it existed um and it's it's pretty good the uh melodies are really good Every, every section of the song is pretty great um i give it four out of five Duritz dreadlocks. <laughs> uh, well, Travis? yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, um, I didn't know this song existed before uh, researching this podcast. I probably won't remember that this song exists months, a few months into the future. Uh, it's forgettable. There's nothing special about it. I'd give it two. Durrett's dreadlocks. Dang. Okay. Uh, I'm going to switch units here. I'm going to give it... Yeah! Yeah! <laughs> Hang on. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! Whoa, whoa, whoa. And and one. That's, that's four and a half yes out of five. Excellent. All right, is this a Nirvana wannabe? No. No, this is a, a REM and Knights uh, song. Hmm. hmm. I think this is a. Uh, Van Morris. I. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not a Nirvana wannabe. There's a. I think including this and Toad, there is a distinct Nirvana proof category of, um pleasant alternative rock on the radio at this time yeah yeah i think it does kind of tie in with like rem's influence where like 
they hit toad and and gin blossoms and it's this very kind of like clean sounding upbeat thing which i mean rem wasn't always that way but i think it it stems from from rem's uh earlier stuff yeah and we'll have to hang on to the thought that um i know i've mentioned to you two that that pearl jam might be equally deserving of the kind of the uh the legendary mythical role that Nirvana plays in alternative rock. And um, I think that there might be an argument for REM being just as significant, but we'll save it for a couple episodes when we were actually talking about REM. Yeah. Well, I, I, I do want to say though, I, you know, six songs in so far, it's either uh, Nirvana, REM or punk, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Are like the reference points for, yeah, the six songs we've talked about so far. Yeah. Okay. Well, you can email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Email us a question and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience. Or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. If you send comments as a voice memo, we'd love to include them at the end of the show. You can listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. Next week, we hope you have the time to listen to us whine about Basket Case by Green Day. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.